faster. But, you know, batteries dying in the middle of everything, even though they're telling us it's fully charged. And, you know, sometimes that's just kind of an encapsulation of what life is for us, isn't it? I mean, we, we wake up, we're good, the day gets started, and you just can't seem to get into that groove. Now, I've never experienced much of a groove. If any of you have ever seen me attempt to dance, you know that this is accurate. <laughs> Crystal, that was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. True, but unnecessary. So I think it's kind of appropriate this morning about what we're going to be speaking about. We're going to be talking about the shield of faith this morning. And as we look, Ephesians 6.16, we're back into Ephesians, and we've been working our way through the armor of God. And Ephesians 6.16 this morning reads this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We talked last week a little bit about how this... Uh, the breastplate, you know, we've gone from the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, we've walked into the gospel shoes of peace. And we talked last week that the, the shoes of peace have this kind of this additional kind of explanation that goes along with it. Where the first two didn't, the gospel shoes did. And now the shield of faith does too, kind of gives us an idea of a little bit of what it does. So it says that we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, just as with every other piece of armor that we've covered so far, Paul has already spoken of this. He's already written about faith. And that happened back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And as we continue to look at these pieces that make up the armor of God, and it's, you know, this is one of those focuses in a, in a message, you know, kind of a series of messages that it's, it's challenging to prepare for. Because the, the armor of God is, is something that I don't think it ever becomes trivial to us, but I think that we're taught about it and read about it, and it's in front of us so often that we lose the value of it. You know, that sometimes I think that if we never deepen in our relationship with God, then there are times that Sunday school stories stay a little too elementary for us. And we don't put the weight of the stories that we're learning you know, Noah's, I remember Rachel's uh, nursery at the house was done in Noah's Ark. And you know what? If Noah's Ark, if that event kind of looked like what the nursery was done in, it was all pastels. I mean, it wasn't really that bad of an experience to go with. And I, I'm kind of like Tim Hawkins. I think that you need to make a realistic nursery design of Noah's Ark. You know, just like dark, gray, gloomy people clinging onto the side of the boat. You know, people floating dead in the water. People kind of clawing up the sides. That'd be a fun nursery to walk into, wouldn't it? 
kid grow up, they'd probably make a Netflix show about them. But you know, when you think about these things, the armor of God is something that we can trivialize from time to time and lose real appreciation for what we've been given to help us fight these battles and also how Paul articulates these to us. So just as looking into the past pieces of the armor of God, we're going to look at, you know, kind of what is it? What is this shield of faith that Paul is talking to us about? So what is faith? Because faith is, is a really broad spectrum. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we can look at faith throughout the Bible. We know that it's measurable to some degree. Because we can see that Jesus himself will say, Oh, ye of little faith. You know, so Jesus recognizes that there's lower levels of faith. And then we can look at statements that Jesus makes also, where he looks at the, the, the Roman and he says, I've not seen a faith as great of this. So we know that there's different levels of it. There's basic faith. There's believing faith. There's the faith that leads us into salvation, which was Paul that talked about, that it's through our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His grace that saves us. There was a Reformation anniversary that took place not too long ago on October 31st. And that was the, the date that Martin Luther tacked his 95 thesis on Wittenberg's door. And it was basically written on you're saved by faith through his grace. And that's it. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, having faith in his grace and his sacrifice for you. So as we look at the context of what Paul's writing here, I, I want to take just a few moments and clear a couple things up because there's at the beginning of this, I'm reading out of the ESV, it says, in all circumstances, take up. So again, it's commanding us. There's an imperative command here for us to do something. There's an action required of us that we need to take up. And it phrases it in all circumstances. Some versions say in addition to. But I think what we need to understand is all of these elements of the armor of God are critically important in our everyday relationship with God. Because there's not a moment, at least that I'm aware of, in any of our lives where we are actually able to relax from a spiritual warfare standpoint. We're always going to be facing spiritual warfare of some sort. I don't think that Paul necessarily writes these in order of importance. You know, we talked about there was probably some significance with the belt of truth being the first item that he talks about because that's what everything's centered around. We, we established that most of the armor was attached or dependent upon that belt in some way. But I think one thing that we can say is while we can't make necessarily the leap to say that these are listed in order of importance, I do believe that we can say very confidently that all of them hold the same level of importance and that they are interdependent on one another. So let's look at the shield in context for just a little bit of what they would have associated back in this time in the Greco-Roman army, what these shields would have looked like. It's not like the Captain America shield, you know, made out of vibranium, made from the Wakandan mines, you know, and any of my Marvel nerds in here know what I'm talking about. 
It's not the little round shield, because there were different types of shields, even in the Roman army at this time. But this one, he used a specific Greek word that describes a shield that's basically the size of a door. It's anywhere from four to five and a half feet tall, and anywhere from two and a half to four feet wide. And the shield at this point would have been made of layers of pressed lumber. One of the advantages that the Roman army had at this time was the thickness of their shields. We talked about the thickness of their shoes and how that gave them an advantage, and with the cleats on the bottom of that, especially in hand-to-hand combat. But these were pressed board, like really thick, anywhere from an inch to two inches, sometimes even up to three inches of pressed board together. Then it would be covered with some type of animal skin in at least one layer, sometimes multiple layers, and then some of them would even have some type of metal gilding over top of it. So if you think about that, this is not a light, this is not a light shield that they're going to be holding here. And then what they would do before they would go into battle, would they would take this shield, this already really heavy shield, and they would submerge it in water until it was completely and totally soaked through. Can you imagine the weight of that thing at that point? I mean, I don't, taking up is a good, is a really interesting phrasing here because it wouldn't have been something that was continually easy to do. It would have been a muscle that you would have had to build. It would have been a source of strength that you would have continually had to cultivate in your life to be able to not only lift this shield, but to be able to use it to protect yourself. Doesn't that sound kind of similar to faith in our faith life? For any of you, is faith easy all the time to exercise your faith, to really live out your faith I know for me, it's more difficult at times than what it is others. And I'm really guilty, super guilty, of having really strong circumstantial faith. You're like, listen, whenever the bills are paid, the food's bought, everything's provided for, and I've still got a little bit of money left when the bank account looks good, my faith's really high. You know, when the relationships are really good, when there's no uh, storms happening, there's no turmoil, nothing stirring in my life, man, my faith is really strong, really good. Whenever, whenever things are, are calm and quiet around here and everybody's happy, man, my faith is really good. But it's at times that maybe things aren't the way that I would want them to be. Maybe I'm facing an attack, whether it be financially, whether it be relationally, whether it be from an employer, whether it be somebody you work with, or maybe it's your kids, your kids' school, your kids' sports, whatever they're involved in. Man, these things come up, and it's in those moments that our faith is really, truly tested. Heard someone use the example this week that faith is kind of like a car that you're driving uphill without brakes. So if you're driving a car uphill without brakes, what's going to happen if you let off the gas? You're eventually, you're going to slow up, and eventually, you'll start coming back the other way. 
And they, they liken that with faith, that faith is something that we constantly have to have going in our lives. Now, I want to kind of add a little bit of clarification before we get into the real practical and applicable points of this shield of faith this morning. You will see here that, at least in the ESV, it says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That's not the greatest translation. You know, that kind of gives us that idea of, you know, when you take that little thing and you go, you know, it's got a little match on the end of it. It's like, oh, look at that. Isn't that cute? And you hear it through the air. It's not what it was. We're talking about long spears here that were on fire being hurled at you and that could not only impale you, but it could affect and kill multiple people around you if you didn't have something there to stop it. And in this time, not only would they have had this visual of this shield that would have protected their whole body, and understand that in spiritual warfare, your faith helps to protect the rest of the gear that's on you as well. That truth, that righteousness, that peace. We'll see the salvation, the helmet of salvation next week, the sword of the Spirit. This shield helps to protect all of it. So your faith helps to protect you from those fiery spears that come from the enemy. Now, make no mistake, there are little darts that he uses just to try to get under your skin. Anybody have those? You may call them their kid, your kids. <laughs> or kids, you may call them your parents. Amen, guys? Amen? All right, yeah, get a head nod anyhow. He's like, my mom is sitting right here next to me. <laughs> Please, don't make me answer this. So let's, let's take a look at these because this shield not only protects us, but this is the only piece of the armor that also can be used to protect others because they most of the time would have a groove locked into it and that it would attach to one another and you could build walls almost of protection for you and your, your, your army. So let's, let's look at the next one up here with the how does faith protect us? So against these fiery darts, in a spiritual warfare context, how does this faith protect us? I believe for, the, for my study this week and for what Paul was talking about in context here, I believe that we could use these. It protects us against fear, protects us against doubt, protects us against despair. And I believe that these kind of typically happen this way. I believe first that we begin to fear something or about something or an unknown or something we don't understand. That causes us the natural progression from fear if we don't take care of it there, if it's not extinguished at that point, then doubt begins to creep in. You know, our faith lessens, it becomes less, and our fear and our doubt increases. And then if we don't take care of it then, then our fears and our doubts can lead us into a state of despair. So this morning, as we look at these three areas, I'm not going to tell you what my opinion of fear or what faith does in response to that. I'm not going to tell you my definition of doubt or what faith does in response to that, nor am I going to tell you about my definition of despair and what faith does in response to that. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures 
really quickly, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about these three areas. And, and if you're, you'll get an email a little bit later this week, and the Facebook group will have all of these on here. So if I go through them too quickly before you can write them down, they'll be coming out to you. So let's look at the topic of fear. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The next one we find, Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Hebrews 13.5, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So scripture tells us about fear, that it's about our perspective, our faith, and our focus on who God is in our life and what he does. So if you're battling an area of fear this morning, find his answer in his word. Find that peace that you can get from this. Find that peace that's found in his presence through times of prayer. Find that peace that you can find only in God alone when you find that still, small voice. Be still and know that I'm God. Put your focus wholly on him this morning. That's how your faith is exercised in fear. So let's look at doubt. Let's look at what the scripture has to say about doubt. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Quick side note here, a little story. I was at, uh, at a funeral visitation the other day, unfortunately. But I was talking with someone who they had not seen me in many years. And I, you know, we got to talking and they told me they went, you know, the last time I saw you, you didn't have those streaks of different color in the side of your head right there. It's like, yeah, and I also had a lot more up top here too. So I had to find a verse this week because that caused me to doubt. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this. Make sure that soaks in. I am sure, I am certain, I am positive, I am resolute in this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. No matter how far off you feel like you might be from what God's calling you to do or his purposes, remember that. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And next, as we begin to look in this, what it shields us from, we look at despair. We see Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours, according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then I'm going to read to you Psalm chapter 42. I'm going to read the entirety of the passage. Uh, if you want to, follow along with me. If not, read, listen to this really closely as I read, and it addresses despair, especially 
the end of it. As a deer pants for flowing stream, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Can any of you relate to this roller coaster that we just read? About one moment we are reminded and our faith is stirred and we remember the goodness, the faithfulness and the things that God has done for us already. And then the next moment we hit rock bottom and we begin to doubt, we begin to fear, we begin to fall into distress. Why my soul, my emotions, my mind, my will? Why are you downcast? Why are you doubting? Why are you fearing? Why are we questioning this? Because we've seen God do it over and over again. Oh God, you are so faithful. You are so good. I love you so much. God, I don't understand how this could be happening. Everyone's against me. My finances, they're never working. My job, I'm miserable there. This community, the people around me, they treat me poorly. The situation of the world is getting so bad, God, and I'm so doubtful. I'm so in, in just a state of despair. But you, God, you are faithful. Anybody ever been on that kind of roller coaster before? And then you sit and you wonder, what's wrong with me? I love that, that last verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's, let's look at, at this next section here. So we've, we've talked about the fear, the doubt, and the despair. So let's look at the practical elements of this. How do we take up this shield of faith? Again, it's a heavy shield. It's something that's not always going to be light for you. There's going to be times that your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be difficult for you to maintain a, a stance of faith in the midst of your circumstances. 
But if we look at Psalm, again, this 42, 1 through 11, as it goes through 17, we, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are willing to hear the word of the Lord. And I'm realizing that that Psalm 42 is not the right scripture. So we're, I'm going to edit that off the CD whenever the audio comes out. And I'm going to need us to make, have an agreement right here, okay? This never happened. It's never happened. The guy who develops these slides is fired right now on the spot. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we need to hear the word of the Lord. The next thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we pray to the Lord. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for. We need to be praying to the one who is making intercession for us. And that is Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, the one who rose again and is ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. We need to be faithful in our prayer. That's part of taking up that shield of faith. Next is to fix your heart on the unseen. 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light, momentary affliction, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, unseen are eternal. Next, we need to come alongside of others. Romans 1, 11 and 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Can I just insert here that that person that's sitting next to you or across the way from you, you're really important in their life. Your brother and sister in Christ, you're really important to their life. And you have a responsibility to help them take up the shield of faith and encourage them, pray for them, speak into them, be there for them. And likewise, they have that responsibility with you as well. And lastly this morning, how do we take it up? Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I save this one for last because this is by far the most important one. If we're not looking at Jesus, who is the author, the founder, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, if we're not looking to him, then our faith is misplaced. And we can have great intentions and want to come alongside of each other. And we can try to pray as much as we want to pray. We can, we can meditate on His Word. We can, spend, we can spend quiet time, but if 
we are not focusing, if our perspective is not locked onto Jesus Christ, then this shield of faith, number one, it's going to be compromised. It's going to be too heavy for us to bear, and we're not going to be protected from the fiery darts of the enemy. I remember a couple years ago um, when I was serving as, as interim pastor at the time, I remember meeting with the elders and doing, doing an interview, and I remember telling them, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not a smart man, not an intelligent man, and you all have seen that bear out. Uh, yeah. November 1st was eight years for my family and I to be here at First Church. You all have, you, you've seen that play out. Said so. What you're going to get as a speaker, as a pastor, as a leader, is not someone um, who is very articulate with words or in depths of intelligence. But the one thing that you will get is you will get a man that Sunday in and Sunday out will preach Jesus Christ. That's my message, and that's what this church is built on. And if we're not looking to Jesus, the author the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, then we're, we're looking in the wrong place. Look to Jesus. In the moments of the greatest calamity in your life, in the moments of the greatest loss, in the moments of the greatest turmoil, trials, and tribulations, don't look for a formula to try to get you through it. Don't look for a step-by-step, and, and none of these things are bad, but don't look for a step-by-step program to get you through it. If you are facing these things that's called life, look to Jesus first. For that is our hope. That is our peace. And that is where our faith is found, in the person of Jesus. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and join me this morning. You know, life, life just ebbs and flows, doesn't it? I mean, in one moment, things are great, things are, things are, things are pretty good, and it can happen that in the very next moment, all of those things that were good, all of those things that were great can come crashing down. But here's the beautiful part, that when we look to Jesus, when we serve Jesus, when our heart is His, and He is our Lord and Savior, there is a source that is unchangeable, that's unmovable, and never goes up and down. And that is where we need to find our hope, our peace, and our faith. Pray with me this morning.